0: Hey, podcast listeners, Mackenzie here. I wanted to personally thank you for listening and being a part of our community. We couldn't do this show without you. As we shape the next series of the Living Centered Podcast, I wanted to invite you specifically to help us out. We want to hear from you. We're currently in the process of curating a series all around exploring the relationships that make up our lives. Together with various experts, clinicians, and on-site alum, we'll explore the nuances, intricacies, and impact of the relationships within which we all exist. From families of origin to friendships, dating, working relationships, and beyond. We hope to host conversations with guests who bring a definitive and unique perspective. This is where you come in. We want to know your pressing relationship questions. You can submit your questions to podcast at experienceonsite.com and you might just hear an answer on our next series.
1: But that body scan can, no matter the scenario, can bring us back into our body because we've we've not judged it. That alone, that practice alone is proven to lower your ambient stress. And the goal may be for you that, oh, shoot, I got to figure out how to get it from, if it's a sadness, I got to get it from an eight to a one or an eight to two. It's not the goal. You don't have to change it at all. All you got to do is just clarify it. And clarifying it alone has a better chance of it moving one way or the other in support of you. Because for some of you, if you have blocked out the bad emotions for a long time, that's what I should have said, Lindsay, in the very beginning when you asked that great question about what do you see? Mostly I see people with blocked or compound emotion that they've never had a natural outlet to be able to offload them. Because if they did, they might not even need to call me. You know, that's where the work starts. But for some of you, if you're trying to get rid of a difficult emotion, a body scan can invite you into the idea that you might need it to be at an. You might even need to engage with it at a 10 because you might not have given it permission to come out in a really long time, or you might be around other people, partners, families that have discouraged it, but it's yours. You own it. You get to identify it, clarify it, sit with it, and it is all okay.
0: Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, a show from the humans at OnSite. If you're new to this space and just beginning this journey, we hope these episodes are an encouragement, a resource, and an introduction to a new way of being. And if you're well into your journey and perhaps even made a pit stop at OnSite's Living Centered program or one of our other experiences, we hope these episodes are a nudge back towards the depth, connection, and authenticity you found. In this season, we sat down with a dozen of our favorite experts and emotional health sojourners to dig into the topics that are top of mind for all of us. Transition, relationships, trauma, just to name a few. Part practical resource and part honest storytelling that will have you silently nodding along, me too. This podcast was curated with you in mind. So with that, let's dive in. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Living Centered Podcast. Today is our final episode in this series that we have been going through the last couple of months. We're so excited because we get to bring in our chairman and proprietor, Miles Adcox. And honestly, I just was relishing in the time with him as we've talked a lot in this season all about tenants of the Living Centered program and honestly, just tenants of being a human. We've talked about rest. We've talked about relationships. We've talked about burnout. We've talked about creativity and absolutely everything in between. And so this episode, I was really excited to hear from Miles and get to learn more about the on-site experience, why it matters to him, and just kind of pick his brain on what he's seeing as far as mental health and emotional health trends in the last couple of years. He just is a well of wisdom and we're excited to have gotten to sit down with him.
2: Yeah. I love any chance I get to talk to Miles. Mm -hmm. I feel like he's a good person when you're talking to him to have a notebook nearby because he just has so many pearls of wisdom. And he really in this conversation both talks about sort of the history and the origin story Mm -hmm. of Living Centered program and what it was created for, but then also connects us to like where we're going and what that makes possible. And so I think kind of like the Living Centered program, sometimes it's important to go back so that you can go forward. And um, Miles just does a great job of living that out and bridging the gap for us. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with him. I know that Mackenzie and I did.
0: Welcome, friends. We have an incredible treat today. We get to chat with the OG Living Center podcast host, uh, Miles Adcox, onsite chairman and proprietor. Miles, thanks for joining us. I'm so excited.
1: This is fun. I'm so glad to be back with you all. Thanks for that super thoughtful to invite me back on. I'm glad to be here.
0: I couldn't think of a better way to kind of land this series that we've been in over the last 12 episodes. We have talked about a bunch of different kind of tenets of the Living Centered Experience. And I would just say tenets of being a human and being someone in the world. And I think somewhere along the way, a lot of us get off track. And I love what our Living Centered Experience offers to people. It's just an opportunity to reset, to slow down, and to get away and really focus on ourselves. So I thought it might be fun to just kind of hear from you About the living centered experience. We've talked so much about it. Why, in your opinion, I've heard you say everyone could benefit from a living centered experience. Why do you think that?
1: Well, I think I'd have to reflect back on my journey towards my truth and my center. And it's not one I've arrived on, it's not one I don't know that anybody arrives, but the pursuit uh, has brought so much congruency and authenticity vulnerability strength perspective grace love I'm just a different human you know from being on this path and and I'm and I'm really grateful for it and if I go back into my history before you know when I first started my journey of having some challenges and adversity uh, that came up in life and I had an opportunity thankfully to Take a look at those and got engaged with a creative and really good process that imprinted me in a really important way. It didn't upfront. Upfront, I was terrified of it and thought, "What, you know, why has life gotten so bad that I need to take a break to work on who I am and who I'm becoming?" I went through that whole shame lens initially and and felt felt uh, different about the idea of doing work. But man, midway through. I began to wake up this different part of myself. It taught me a whole new language. It uh, introduced me to a whole new way of living. And I remember thinking at the back end of my initial therapeutic intensive experience with experiential elements engaged that, oh my goodness, I don't know of anyone on the planet that couldn't benefit from this. I, I thought it then. And gosh, that was over 20 years ago. And I have chased that dream ever since. It's a, you know I've never looked at our offering, especially the flagship marquee offering, i.e. our uh, Living Centered Program, but really any of our, tr- our uh, offerings at Onset. I've never looked at them as this punitive, here's where you go when your life is, is broken. It, it, it's not that we're not set up to serve people when they're going through difficult seasons, but I have just always looked at it as like this great opportunity, this great gift that I wish... Everyone I know wish the world would get a chance to, and and I know people do it in every ways. We're a small entity um, with a big reach. I'm proud of it. And I know we serve a lot more people today than I ever dreamed we would. And I think our dreams are exciting of how many we might serve 10 years from now, but I know that won't touch the population. And so it's not just the living centered, uh, but I happen to, to be pretty biased and partial to that one. But I think there's a lot of ways people can start to embrace the parts of themselves that maybe they've been running from and start chasing congruency and authenticity, and some of the things I mentioned that I've benefited from. And so that's my hope is it's just the world will take a little bit better care of themselves. And I think in doing so, we'll learn to take better care of each other.
2: Yeah, I love that. Um, listening to you talk, Miles, has really taken me back about six and a half years to a time in my life where I was experiencing a lot of burnout and I had had two different coffee dates in one day. And both people were like, you need to go to the Living Centered Program. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was like, I don't know that now is the time. And then later that evening, I randomly ran into you at Moss Tacos in Mm -hmm. line for tacos. And I was like, okay, I get it. I've got to go do this Living Centered Program. It just felt like a sign from the universe or God Mm -hmm. or however people think about that, but it just felt like very clear that that was the next step for me. And then you were like, well, call me and let's talk about what it would look like for you to do this program. And I remember being so scared and kind of like, can I do this thing? Because I'd had a lot of friends that had gone and experienced Living Centered. And I knew enough to know what to be afraid of. <laughs> of and I'm not somebody that is super comfortable. Like, processing my feelings outside of myself and so everybody else is like it's just this like cathartic release and that sounded terrifying to me and you so graciously talked to me on the phone and held my hand sort of through the process and i think you do that so well for so many people Mm. you just help guide them to whatever the right next step is in their healing journey and for me it was a living center program that day
0: Hey friends, Mackenzie here. I wanted to quickly interrupt this interview to share a short story with you. A few years ago, I was listening to an on-site alum share their story and something clicked inside of me. I realized that while nothing was wrong in my life, I actually began to wonder if there was more I was missing. What if the overwhelming feeling of anxiety and stress that I had just accepted as my normal didn't have to be a part of my life? What if my relationships didn't drain me and I could actually set the boundaries to create the type of relationships I wanted to exist in? What if I could interrupt the narratives that I had just accepted as fact? Shortly after, I attended Onsite's Living Center program, and I started on my own journey of more. More peace, more clarity, more fun, more wholeness. I want to invite you to explore that more. There's nothing wrong with you. But what if there's more? If you've been considering an on-site program for a while, or if this is the very first time, I invite you to dare to consider the possibility that the more you're seeking is actually something we all deserve. You can explore our offerings at experienceonsite.com or connect with one of our incredible admissions team members at 1-800-341-7432. They'd love to have a confidential call with you and connect you to the right resource for you.
2: But I'm curious, like so many people call you, what are those phone calls like for you? Like, what are you hearing from people that they're struggling with that they what, like, what are the common things that they're wrestling with, I guess, when people call?
1: Well, that's a uh, thoughtful question. And um, I appreciate you asking it. And I also appreciate you taking me back down to that phone call we had and what a divine call that was. I mean, who knew mm. that that would engage on a six, seven year journey of uh, working together. I mean, how cool is that? How yes, things come I together mean. in Mos Tacos. I'd forgotten about that, that detail that we ran into each other there. And I'd known, known you and respected you, but didn't know you that well, knew of you. Uh, mm. But that's so cool the way that came together. So I'm glad you shared that. Um, yeah. I mean, the one part of my job that, I have never given up. I don't know that I ever will. I need to find a, a more sustainable way to probably do it because you end up is it's like anything you do too much of it you get to where you're not not as uh, as good at it just because you keep one person getting all the consumption. But I I've asked that question before Lindsay. I was like why, why is it, you know that we've got all these amazing people behind us now and I've been in different leadership roles within the company and you know, being on the front lines and answering phones is. Some people might argue that might not be the best use of my time, but I. To me, I think if I really look at it, I think we spend our time most of the time. Once we depathologize and have worked through our stuff, there's a lot of things we'll attach to for our worth and our value when we're mm-hmm. in our unhealth. But. When we're in our health and doing things that may not make sense to the world, I think that's when you ask a deeper question of why do they make sense to me? Mm-hmm. And I think they make sense to me because I feel no matter who's calling me, if it's somebody that's a complete stranger and on borrowed trust, like you know, like that happens a lot. Somebody knows me and says, hey, he's, he's an okay person. He might could help. Would you call him? Somebody's borrowing on onsite's reputation and trust or somebody just taking a big swing and calling me when they have no idea who I am or who on site is, no matter, it always feels incredibly sacred because I've had, as you've said, thousands and thousands and thousands of those conversations over the years, that kind of intake inquiry, front-end call, like, okay, here's what's happening in my life. Uh, and often, it's not OnSite they're asking about. It's just, I, I don't know what to do. And can you support? yeah. It's a different conversation. It's a different conversation. And it's a it's a conversation that I hope the world has more of because it's one that fuels me. There's been times it's overwhelming because I'm human and you consume so much of people's stress and adversity that often it's hard not to take it home. I've done that before. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I'm in a, a bit more of a seasoned, mature place with it now where I can hold it without consuming it. I can respect and honor no matter what somebody's calling about. I think for whatever reason, I got gifted, and it's probably through the lens of doing my own work too, but I kind of got gifted with being having a natural disposition away from judgment no matter the circumstances. And I, I really respect and value that because it's what I strive for. I want that in, in my interpersonal relationships and people who I want to follow in leadership roles. No matter, I, I want people to look at me in an unbiased, obje, you know, uh, objective way when I'm telling them parts of myself that I might feel are my worst. And getting to do that for people, I think, maybe the biggest honor that I might, you know, one of the best ways I can spend my time on the planet. And So I know that's not what you ask. I think you ask what do people usually struggle with. Now you might have asked what's it like, and I went really down the what's it like. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that, so I just think it was a beautiful question. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a sacred journey to hold people and to be with people in that space. And I've gotten, you know, it's like anything. Um, as much as I'd like to be Tiger Woods on the golf course, I don't hit ten thousand <laughs> golf balls a day. As much as I'd like to be Buck Brannaman in the saddle, I don't ride six hours every day. Um, But I do spend countless, countless, countless minutes and hours on the phone with people going through difficult circumstances. And so it has become this rhythm, this thing I'm confident in, this thing I, I feel humbled by, but I feel ready for, you know, just to guide people down places that would support them and where they might need to go. And a lot of times that's our resource, which is always icing on the cake. I send as many people to other places as I do our own and I hope by this podcast I'm not inviting a whole bunch more phone calls. It's not that I wouldn't love to support you, but I've got a team, honestly, that's more equipped than I am because they're trained in it, and that—that's because that's often where I might have a limitation is not having immediate access to the resources up here where they have it ready all the time. But the theme, I guess, this was a long answer. Sorry, listener. No, I love it. I
0: love it. It's really good.
1: Is every you know struggle? I I believe, no matter what it is. It it, it could be overt. It could be um, primary, uh, secondary, big T, little T, significant stress, overt Mm -hmm. trauma, relational challenges, burnout. It all feels contextually, I hate to say the same, but there's definitely a thread. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. The the thread to me would, would just be that there's an overwhelmed element within their nervous system with whatever life might have thrown them at that time. You might could call that compound stress, but usually whether people can identify it or not, <clears throat> if they're trying to solve for a problem for themselves or solve for a problem for a loved one or a colleague, they're feeling a sense of angst and, and overwhelm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and now you could plug in a hundred factors that might uh, be a catalyst for that. But that's kind of the general theme. And I have certainly seen uh, an increase in that as the world gets more stressful, so go the world's people. So somebody that called me eight years ago, maybe when the world was in a little better balanced place, and I, I don't mean that incentive because eight years ago, somebody some of you listening, your world might've been on fire from another scenario, but there were some big themes in the last few years. And there's some right now that are calling us in distress if you turn the news on. And I have found that if you take someone who's having a personal situation with something professional or personally and you add it onto it, the world stress, then I find it's a bit more elevated mm-hmm. right now. But I think mostly when I talk to people, they're dealing with kind of compound stress.
0: Yeah. I think one of our clinicians once kind of described that window of tolerance, right? Like we all have this ability to work within that. And when there are so many external factors in this season, our window of tolerance just shrinks. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that of it's less about the circumstances that we're going through and more about our decreased ability to handle it. Like I've been stressed before. I've had strife with my children before. I've, you know, had financial trouble before, but there's something about this season right now where any extra little bit outside of it just feels heavier. It's kind of how we all felt in the pandemic, like everything felt so big. And so I just, I wonder if you're seeing that more because of that. And if you kind of talk to yeah. normalize the overwhelm, a lot of us are feeling. We're not alone, right?
1: Totally. Yeah. I definitely see that tolerance window less now. And mm-hmm. I used to feel I needed to find a way to make it wider, you know, mm. for people when I was on the phone. In other words, if they had a, a, a tolerance to what they could share, what they couldn't share, or uh, a lot of times people will say, I'm desperate, I'm struggling, I need help. And then the mm-hmm. resource feels intolerant. Like if you say, well, here's what I would consider doing. Then suddenly it's like, mm-hmm. whoop, I'm not sure I want that, or I can do that, or that's going to really invade in my life and my family or in my resources or whatever it might be. But now I don't so much try to make it wider. I'm more just meet people where they are with that level of tolerance or window of tolerance, because mm-hmm. and that's in leadership too. And, I, and I, I'm clumsy. i We've all had the opportunity to be in leadership opportunities and employ you know, engagement, professional engagement circles for years. And mm-hmm. so I know I've not always gotten this right. I'm clumsy, I've probably stepped on y'all's toes, I'm sure, at times. But I try to read the energy of the moment. And you can hear it in somebody's uh, the way they're voicing what they're going through. You can yeah. hear it in the way physically somebody now often time is a thief and doesn't give us the luxury of always not chasing a moment with immediate information you need to deliver. So sometimes you have to push through because you know you're not going to have the luxury of time to give people that space. But for the most time, if you can read the energy of the room and if you can hold space for where you feel people can digest something, then you're twice as likely to make that uh, tolerance window wider so that they inquire and it's more on their terms versus my terms. And so I might not, I, I try to stay out of immediate advice. It's what, often the the human is seeking and the brain is seeking when it's distressed and looking for resources. It's just tell me what to do, tell me what to do, tell me what to do. But often what to do feels overwhelming and it's counterproductive to the next step. And so I might find a creative way to suggest that by personally reflecting or giving them a third-party example instead of making it about them. There's a lot of different tools that, that you can use to support people when they do feel the stress of the world and they have less tolerance to be able to look at themselves. It's just a natural part of the change process. And I find it better to be with people versus trying to push or pull them out of it if you can.
0: Yeah, I was just having this image of when I first started working at OnSite, you did an experiential exercise where you showed like, experientially what it looks like to come alongside someone who's hurting and to pull them into like, let me pull you into the solution or let me push you and tell you that's where you should go. Now the most effective way for them and for you and for actual lasting change is to to link arms and to walk and say, let's do this together. And everything I've been hearing in this conversation is what we say is so true is that you can only take someone as far as you've gone. And so I think there's just so much of your work coming out of like I can sit with my own struggle, so I'm willing to sit with yours, and it just is—it's really beautiful, and it's a gift that you offered all of us. And I just thought of that—that that experiential exercise. Yeah,
1: I still use I still use that experiential teaching, and I've gotten variations of it now, but I still find it to probably be my favorite because I've had mm. so many people and kind of feel get an aha moment out of it. But I remember a little short metaphor story, and I'll—I may butcher it because it's been a long time since I've heard it, but it was early on in my process. And if you imagine somebody that is in a hole and they can't get out of it, they're stuck. And that's one of the most common things we hear. You know, people come to uh, on-site living center programs, I'm feeling stuck in this one part of my life, my relationship, my job, my life. Imagine somebody's in a hole and they can't get out of it. And then somebody comes by and they look down in the hole and they start to tell the person what they need to do to get out of it. And that's one step, and or that's one way to do it. And then there's uh, another person that could come by that might try to put their hand down and pull them out of the hole. That's another way to consider doing it. But I found the most sustainable way is that if somebody comes by, sees somebody in a hole, and then they jump down in the hole with them, Now, the person in the hole may be thinking, well, wait a minute, now there's two of us in here. We're both stuck, yeah. And that's when I can look at them and say, I've been here before and I know how to get out. Mm -hmm. You know, when people feel a little less alone when they're in a stuck place, they're twice as likely to take a step that's their idea, not my idea, which makes it more sustainable.
2: Yeah. Feels a lot warmer and and more inviting to be walking out of the hole or stepping out of the hole with someone that's got that know-how and knowledge and nurturing spirit and Mm -hmm. I I think that our clinical team and you all embody that so much that they're all willing to share their own stories and the work that they've done and they, they have that spirit of I've been there too and I really appreciate it.
0: As Miles shared, at Onsite, we see people from all walks of life now raising their hands and looking for support on their mental and emotional health journey. As we shifted gears in this conversation, Lindsay asked a compelling question about a trend we're currently witnessing in our culture. As we see these topics normalized and the conversations shift around those who talk about their mental health.
2: I feel like so much of like my own personal work I sort of was forced into it when my coping mechanisms started to not work for me. And I feel like a lot of mm. my, I'm in my 40s, a lot of my peers, that's kind of sort of what drove them into therapy or sent them to onsite was like a lot of them had socially acceptable coping mechanisms, whether it's, mm. you know, like work or people pleasing or and I did too, that that that, that worked for a good decade and a half or two decades of my adulthood. And then all of a sudden it just wasn't working any longer. And I didn't know how to process life's challenges Mm -hmm. outside of those. And I'm just curious what sort of the generational kind of trends that you'd see around. I think it's so cool that, there is so much more knowledge and awareness and desire for young people to engage at an early age in therapy. But curious what, yeah, like how how you see people's personal growth and therapeutic processes changing over time as it becomes more normative and socially mm-hmm. acceptable.
1: I personally am excited by that trend. I think there's more... A positive outcome potential than there is downside. There's certainly both as there is with everything. Because as something gets pop cultureized, it starts to lose a little bit of its meaning and depth. And when it trends, it gets monetized. And when it gets monetized, the world pays attention. When the world pays attention, there becomes a whole lot more experts. And there are a lot of experts. So our information, what I always dreamed of is I hope, the information of the human experience, of psychology, whatever you want to call it, is more widely known and accepted. I hope we have a deeper understanding of ourselves and other people. I really hoped, and in, in in 15 years ago, that seemed like such a long shot. And you're right now that it, it's gotten kind of hip, sexy, and cool to talk about this stuff. You know, self-awareness and therapy and counseling and coaching. The danger is, is it starts to get watered down because you got a whole lot of people talking about it because they know that's what people want to hear. And therefore, they're they're just going for it. And but that's just the downside. I think the, the positive opportunity outweighs that significantly. Because, well, I was reading an article this morning about how this 2022 had the highest suicide rate of any registered time in history, and we've been watching that tick up. So that's not a surprise. There was one element of that article that I was really excited to see, which is that the uh, younger generation that. It, it actually dropped from last year. I forget the percentage of which it dropped, but it's dropped for the last two years. And it, prior to that, the first, the two years prior to that, it was on the way up. And when I say young, it was happening down around 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. It was like scary. Mm, yeah. And so I feel that young generation is, the, is our hope. I feel there's a light within them that they're paying attention and the fact that those of us that are a little ahead of them are starting to say, this is okay to talk about. It's not a weakness like we thought it was. It's actually a strength. It can make us all better. I think they're going to take it from theory and put it into action to where it's commonplace that we put our emotional health and wellness right up there with our physical health and wellness. And we start paying attention to all of it as one thing. So I, I really see it as uh, an exciting opportunity. And I, I do think there are a lot of challenges. I, I still think the stigma is significant. I don't think we're nowhere near the the battle of trying to reduce stigma. Mm-hmm. Because there's it's one thing to talk about, it's another thing to actually do the work. And that's a big that's a different mountain. I love David Brooks's work around that second mountain uh, conversation, but I think we still got work to do. But it seems like a lot of people are helping us right now. It's not just those of us, you know. I think we're so fortunate to work behind the scenes in the mental wellness, emotional wellness Field, if you will, but to have people, fe- it fe- to me, it feels like, and I try to think people, you know, strangers on Instagram that are saying, "I'm a real, I'm a fan of your work," or "I love what you said." I don't say thank you. I say thank you for the encouragement, yeah, because I feel encouraged by it. I feel encouraged that it feels we've got some wind behind ourselves, and that, that yeah. society's joining forces with us and paying attention, and people are trying to bring the conversation into schools and home, and it's just a. It's, it's, it's wildly important, and I don't think it's going to do anything but help lower a lot of those rates and ideally bring us out of our corners and back together over time.
2: Are there practical things that we as like consumers of social media or, or idea, mental health podcast or whatever, are there practical things that people can do to like really experience the depth of it?
1: The common answer is if, if you do have the ability to engage in some kind of process, whether it be with us or some other uh, initiative. I'd love everybody to do it guided by a professional with some experience and training. Yeah. But that's not the way the world is set up. You know, that's, that would cover not near the whole population. It covers a lot of us. And um, I, I hope everybody gets that opportunity. But I think the more seasoned I become in our work, the more I'm recognizing it's, It's not abnormal. It's actually the natural process in which humans were were designed to uh, relate, connect, live, move. It's the harmony that we were born with, and I think it's just getting back to it. And I I don't want to get too out there, but I I am out there. This way is the more I've paid attention to nature, and uh, I've really gotten into kind of the regenerative farming movement, and I pay attention to how. When we get out of the way, you know, industrial, you know, watching what industrialized, industrialized farming and food movement has done mm-hmm. and what we're trying to do to recounter that. And there's these small pockets of farmers that are no longer paying all their profits uh, to fertilize and try to get hyper growth and ultimately kill the soil. They're inviting nature back in. They're actually putting nature back with nature and nature's taking care of itself. So I, I I don't mean to oversimplify it, but I think when we struggle with our mental health and wellness, I do think there's a natural outlet that my goal is for the world to get back in harmony and in rhythm so that we start relating to one another the way we get to see it at a Living Center program. Yeah. I've always said, I hope this goes outside the walls of the way we do it here because it's beautiful. I mean, we literally got a circle of people that beliefs are way different mm-hmm. and- if we dug it apart, there's no reason why they should be sitting in there loving and empathizing on each other's story, because out in the world, they wouldn't even be in the same camp because of their, their beliefs might be made up as different. And civil discourse wouldn't be their first step. It would be polarized disagreements. And somehow we get to see it week after week after week, you know, thousands and thousands of people every year. But I'm hoping that we're imprinting things that the world will begin to adopt. And I don't think it's something new. I think it's actually going back to some ancient wisdom of just reclaiming that natural rhythm. So for all the people out there that don't have the resources or the time or even access to professional guidance like onsite and other places, I think there's an organic natural way to begin to heal your heart and your stress. And it starts with just having a safe conversation with people who can hold and not advise and love and give you empathy. And if you are somebody in a tremendous amount of pain, I don't, Again, I want to encourage you to get help at all costs because there's even, there, there's even help when you don't think there is. And call people like us and we're not for everybody. I never want people to get upset if they call us and we, we're not the fit for any number of factors. But we will help you find the fit as, as, mm-hmm. as best we can with, with what resources you have or don't have. So there, are, there is critical need for professional support. I want to make sure I don't oversimplify it. But I also want to encourage people who, who may live in pockets of the world where there's none of this that you can create it. Uh, by creating sacred circles and empathetic connections and just getting back to love. That actually heals our hearts as much as anything we might do in a sophisticated clinical system.
0: Mm, that's good. I think, Lynn's when you were talking about like being a consumer of social media, I think my first thought, and then Miles echoed it, was like, move it beyond the screen, like take it to the actual people in your life and have a conversation about it of what's coming up and how is this. And I, I do see this normalizing of talking about our, our stories. I was listening to a podcast this morning with Trevor Noah, and he has started this podcast where he talks to people who are kind of like have made a a taboo or have done something that has made them like canceled in culture or, you know, whatever. And like, what are you growing and how are you learning? And he had Baby on it. I've never listened to Baby, But this uh, the whole conversation he was talking about this traumatic, System he grew up in, and he kept using therapy words. And so Trevor said at the end of it, like, "Hey, uh, like, have you been in therapy? Like, what you know? You're using a lot of this language." He was like, "Oh no, man, I can't. Like, I'm no." And it was so interesting to me. Of you're engaging in this conversation, you're wanting to, and I just saw this like wedded appetite that he kept having. Of someone's asking me to talk about my story, they want to know about this, and like his natural Ben was leaning forward to talk about it. But then Trevor said, would you be willing to, you know, are you in therapy? And he was like, I, I can't. Like there was just this stigma. But then he acknowledged, I think that's why I love interviews is because people are asking me to talk about the things that I've buried. And I was just yeah. like, oh, like how can we ask the people in our lives about the things that they've buried mm-hmm. um, and just create yeah. a safe space and hold that? Which I think is something that I, I discovered at Living Centered was people who – were willing to look at my ugly and say, like, yeah, I'm so sorry and I can relate to that.
1: That was good, Mackenzie. Yeah. Just to basically summarized my long answer into what people <laughs> should hear. I wrote it down, actually it said move from the screen to the people and mm. talk to each other, not at each other. You now that's beautiful. That that alone is a big is, is a big start big start. That's why mm. you why you host this show. You're good at this stuff. But uh um, also, you know, I was, uh, we had a mental health, uh, Monday, uh, mm-hmm. Instagram live, uh,
2: mm-hmm. once
1: Monday, 30 minutes and y'all you know, had me do those with some friends of onsite and we did with Becca Stevens this last week. And she's so, <laughs> I just adore her. I love talking to her and she's always got such wisdom and, uh, she mentioned something, dropped something in there at some point. And this this is nowhere near the wisest thing she said. So go listen to that conversation. You had a lot mm-hmm. of good nuggets. But this is just related to this. Is like be a positive force if you're going to engage with a tool that has potential negative consequences. And mm, she didn't good. say it. That, that was my takeaway. Um, yeah. My takeaway was I'm on Instagram. And the way I've managed the mindless slot machine feed that pulls me in like it does any of us that have a human mind is often... You know, if I see something, like someone's trying to share something about their story or Mm. somebody's trying to share something as a, it's so awkward. I try it all the time and it was not great. Where you just, you're talking into a phone and trying to be a subject matter expert and saying, you know, here's life. Can you do these three things? It's But think about how vulnerable that is for somebody to try that. And you have to think their intentions are probably really pure. They're uh-huh. trying to say something that matters. They're trying to help somebody. So the way I've handled that before is I've looked at it and I thought, that wasn't very good. Or, eh, I don't agree with that. I'll just keep going. And what she mm-hmm. said is, go heart go heart 10 people's posts today. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's pretty, pretty cool. That's thoughtful. That if I could see beyond the message, even if I – now, obviously, if I have something I really disagree with, that's different. But if I see beyond the message, it's not something I really connect to, but I can tell the intention and somebody's really trying to – to say something about their story or help another person, then it's easy to give them a heart. And I I, I kind of forgot that that the, the, the heart on that social media thing was actually an endearing thing. It's like, I mm-hmm. see you. I see, Lindsay, you've posted a picture of you and Ben. And, and I want to say that matters to me. And as much as we'd like to think we don't measure ourselves by the hearts we get, we're all human. If we put ourselves out there and nobody notices or nobody cares, it's hard. And so Mm -hmm. I think we can be a lot kinder online to one another. But I really like your advice, Mackenzie, of just move it from the screen to the people. And I think when you're on the screen, you're talking at each other. And in person, it's impossible not to talk to each other.
0: Mm, That's good. I've been working at OnSite for almost four years. I've experienced my own Living Centered program. And on a daily basis, I get to talk to many of you, our alum about your experiences. But at this point, I realized I'd never heard Miles talk about his first living centered experience. My curiosity won out and I'm so glad that I asked him to share a bit about his experience with us.
1: There's a much longer story. We have to do another podcast about the history, <laughs> how I got involved and yes. when I got involved and all that. I have a hard time summarizing that story because it's so meaningful. And somebody asked me the other day and and It was one of those that it needed a three-minute answer, and I couldn't pull it off. I think I rambled on for fifteen minutes talking about my history with onsite. So I won't—I'll spare the the audience and 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 you with that. But to summarize, you know, I inherited this beautiful legacy, just great pioneering thought leaders, clinicians. But behind all that expertise, just really good people from Sharon Cruz to. Ted and Margie Zugic, uh, there's a whole lineage of people that I've been able to pick the reins up from and try to take it from 2007 or whenever you know I came on uh, forward, um, and all that is in that living centered process. It has both history and it has elements of what we've taken year by year and tried to modernize and just continue to make it better. I am a recovering. Uh, per, you know, perfectionist around certain things. It's, it's, it's so funny how perfectionism can get wrapped around the axle on some things. And some things you go look in my car and you'll be like, what? Um, mm-hmm. It kind of looks like the inside of my head at times. Uh, but there are some things, experiences and aesthetic and people that I get really, I can get obsessed about. And Sometimes that can have a shadow side, but a lot of times it serves us well. It's both and. And I've learned to rein in that shadow side better over the years. I still, as Lindsay can attest, because she and I work together on creative outlets all the time and it still hangs me up a lot and mm-hmm. but i've gotten better i hope i, yeah. I would say i hope you say so at least. yeah but i will say the, the 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 positive side of that is that i care so dang much about the experience i really really want the experience to be good it matters so much to me and uh, to the the quality so we've retooled that living center uh, every year we try to make it mm-hmm. better and better and better and my favorite thing is when somebody comes back and it's not really a, a thing we sell to people it's like you know it's kind of one of those once you do it people often want to come back into the onsite ecosystem and do other programs. And I personally do one a year, you know, but we usually don't do living center program, but that's become kind of this little trend lately where people that did it three years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago are coming back and doing it again. And I love hearing that, Oh my gosh, it was better. I never thought that I figured it would be routine and feel the same. It was just as good, if not better. So, but yeah, my, my first experience would have been around 2007, 2008 and, you know it was it was on, honestly uh, a lot of content I'd been creating and swimming in and a lot of dreams that I had formulated felt like they came together that week because i thought oh boy i had that i had the same experience a lot of us have i just i just felt this is special and you come out of it i hope you come out of it i came out of it thinking so am i i mm-hmm. didn't think mm-hmm. that of myself most that. of my life yeah. i thought i'm um, Pretty good at some things. I'm not a bad guy, but i have gosh, I you know I just had all this whole other narrative running in the background. But it's hard when you sit around with these people and clear the channel, and you got these guides there that, uh, that that don't really position themselves as experts, even though they are. They don't. They're the people that get in the hole with you. And there's something about that whole process from the hospitality to the clinical sophistication to really the no sophistication. It's just humans doing human well that. I just fell in love with. I love it. Loved it then. I've not, believe it or not, I've called myself out. I've not done it in a long, long, long time. I've I've done other programs, but maybe it's time for me Mm -hmm. to jump back in a Living Centered Mm -hmm. program. Because of all my, you know, we offer a lot of great uh, programs, a lot of workshops. But that Living Centered program is just sacred to me. It's probably my favorite because it's, it's a bit of a wider door that, as I said in the beginning, I don't know anybody that couldn't benefit from it, no matter what you're navigating. There are some programs that if you're navigating something really overt and specific, we might guide you toward another one of our offerings yeah. as a first step. But I hope everybody gets a chance because it's this gentle look back for information, collecting dots. And then all of a sudden it's connecting dots. And all of a sudden you are realizing you're connecting dots, you've never revealed with people you've never met. And suddenly they know you better than anybody has in the whole world. How'd that happen in five days? But you're like, wow, I left thinking, okay, um, not only is this incredibly cool, and I feel probably more seen, valued than I ever have in my life, but I can replicate this. I felt like I could really replicate it. And I think I have over the years, just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Now I feel like I'm replicating it as a parent. And that's mm. that's the best, you know? Yeah, that's mm. awesome.
2: Um, we are doing a new program this year, in 2024, that will be basically a program just for alumni called The Experience. And it will be an opportunity for people that have done the Living Center program or other workshops and intensives to come back and do work and dive right in. I'd love to hear you talk, Miles, because I know that that is something that you're passionate about, the idea of sort of the ongoing process of doing your work. And we're working together on building out what the experience is going to be. I uh, would love to hear just your passion behind that.
1: Yeah, this is, I'm really excited about this offering. It, I think it's taken what it's taken mm-hmm. to get clear on what experience means and especially what it means in the on-site ecosystem for me. I've struggled for years with how to tell our story. Uh, you know, thankfully, you, you coming on board and and a team that you built has helped us do that better. But I, I just it's it's not that I ha- I lack the passion to talk about it. It's not that I you know I think on some days I'm good at talking about it, but it's hard to describe uh, you know what it is. And <clears throat> the more I have done it and been around it, I guess the ten thousand hour rule kind of thing, you start to see the simple nature in the tones and the uh, uh, the harmony that lives underneath the ecosystem, and the parts that we build, and the parts that we get out of the way of, and and it is an experience that it works in our culture, it works in our programming, it works when we take it on the road. It, it's an experience. I've said before, I said it a long time ago, and I still say it quite a bit. Is that I, we get? I think we get wounded, stressed, challenged, hurt in experiences, often with other humans, and sometimes without. But we get hurt. In, in experiences. And I think if we're doing our job well, it's our job to curate and create experiences for people to repair, heal, grow in. And that's really what Onsite's all about. It's what the Living Centered Program is all about. But lately, we've been thinking, how do we take that feeling that those tools, emulate them and create a sustainable path towards leadership and life and love? And so that one, we mirror it with our own culture. So I want people to know what's underneath, you know, behind the curtain at Onsite. That we're not just an entity that tries to deliver great services. We try to live them too. We don't are not perfect, but you'll learn as part of the experience. That's not the goal. But we wanted to codify in a way the experience, define it, describe it, and then share it. We're going to invite our alumni back, people who've had an experience before with Onsite, to engage in something we're building that it's it's going to go beyond just a program it's actually going to be the best of what we have, which my favorite thing to do at onsite is create programming. I love it. You know, <laughs> give me a whiteboard and, and some people that are interested and let me put together a three or four day experience and use all the creative tools that we have and the, and the brilliant and, and beautiful people we have. But we're doing that. We're kind of going to kitchen mm. sink the onsite experience into these few days uh, so that we can give our alumni something I feel they all deserve, which is like, wow, you really went after it. And then we're going to take that and and really try to clarify so we can mobilize in a more sustainable way now that we're bigger. Because when we had 10 people, 20 people on staff, it was a lot easier, 30, 40, 50, 200, wherever we are now. But it's 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 harder. you know. And as we have new people coming and going, we want people to have that shared lived experience so that it transfers into whatever we touch and whatever we do. It's got quality. Um, it's got heart. It's got integrity. It's got empathy. Just all the things that we love. So, Mm, great. That's the that's my thoughts on the experience. I'm really excited about. it. I know it was. I know I didn't say specifically what a lot of it is, but I just don't want to share much of that. Yeah. But it's just it's going to be a cool it's going to be a cool experience. Yes. So you can learn more about that in the show notes.
0: Well, Miles, I honestly before I worked at Onsite before I came into the program when I just loosely knew who you were, I heard you on a podcast and I heard you lead the host through a, what I know now is an emotional body scan, but it was revolutionary for me at the time because I think for so much of my life, emotions were just kind of out there and I I did a really good job of like, how do I get them away from me as fast as I possibly can? And so I wondered if you would be willing um, and give us that gift of maybe walking us through an emotional body scan, and maybe just give us a little bit of information on the front end of like why it's important for us, and how this can be a tool that we can have in our tool belt and and do whenever. It's something I did today when I was feeling activated about something. So I'd love to just kind of hear a little bit of your heart behind that, and selfishly kind of hearkening back to my first one of my first experiences with Onsite was hearing you lead someone through it.
1: Mm, thanks for that, Mackenzie. Uh, yesterday I was at. On campus in Tennessee, and there were had a new team member and a new uh, actually a horse trainer somebody who I just excited to learn from she's she's amazing, but they just came to Tennessee and they're going to kind of j- join our team and work with us and build some different programming and do some different things and I wanted to introduce them to some of the team and I didn't realize that they had me down to go talk to the Milestones team for a minute, so I just brought them with me. I was like, "Hey, come down! It's a great opportunity. I'll introduce you. They're they're doing something they they do every week called staffing, which is where the whole you know clinical team, programming team at Milestones, which is our longer term. It's just a longer term option of what we deliver, kind of in the workshops, uh, specializing in trauma, anxiety, depression. Smaller boutique program. We share a, sp- a campus with them. Uh, I went down to sit with this team, and I had these two guests, and I said. I introduced the two guests and they said a little bit about themselves and what they're excited about, what they're passionate about, what they enjoy. And then we didn't, we were kind of out of time. And I was like, well, I need to make this quick because else they're not going to invite me back. I'm going to eat up in too much of their time. And they've got a lot of more important things to talk about. And I said, well, hey, can we do a lightning round really quick and just swing around the circle? And I just want them to know who you are too. Do you mind sharing your first name, your role down here at Milestones? And just maybe a quick little one sentence. Why? Like, you know, why do you do what you do? Why are you here? And about three people in, and I was in tears. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the lightning round turned into about a 20-minute love fest, as -hmm. it does at Milestone's crew. They're such a special team. But they just went person by person. And it was like, you know, it's popcorn style where it just Mm -hmm. invited the next person to share what they loved about, not about our work, about each other. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? I mean, I've all I've ever dreamed about is that people would would go to a place because they wanted to be with the people that were there, and I think if you want to be with the people that you're there and you find benefit and joy from it, then no matter what service you deliver, it's going to supercharge it. You know, I think that's often you know that gets neglected because uh, you you try to get people too attached to the mission, and we've got a great mission, but we I, I hope we always have a better culture, and mm-hmm. I, I want the people to enjoy one another, and man. Um, You asked the question about emotions, and I think back Mm -hmm. to my original imprint around feelings and emotions. And I didn't, I just didn't have them. I was just like what you said. I would run from them. I wanted to avoid it. Um, I couldn't even, wasn't even literate when it comes to what they are. I couldn't identify one. I just knew that they were a sign of danger. Yeah. Uh, Outside of some of the, you know, get away with the, the joys, the, the happy, the some of the positive ones. I got that. That's fine. But any that's of the fine. ones we can have like those, but everything else. Have those, but those, those other ones, man, we got to get away from. I, I, I could relate to that. And I got to thinking, you know, here, here I am yesterday, having this middle of the week. You know, it's nothing significant, and I have access to my emotion, mm-hmm. and I have the freedom to utilize it in the workplace. I can, I can emote. I can feel sentimental, and I can be like, this is beautiful to be a part of something like this. Uh, you yeah. know, we we have a stressful job and then they have this really great bond. And, mm. and person by person, they said, you know, I've, I've looked for this my whole life and or I've never worked in a place where a team felt like this. And I was like, man, that feels good. So what was really cool, though, Mackenzie, was that everybody around that circle didn't just describe what they liked about the people they worked with and somehow how that helped them be better at their job. They told us how they felt about it
2: hmm.
1: and said, I feel this way. I feel that way. I didn't say that. I didn't say check in. It's just their vocabulary. They're astute in being able to identify their their biological, normal, and natural response and be able to clarify it, own it, utilize it, put it into practice in real time, and therefore have some sense of control over how it informs our reactions and turns them into our ability to respond instead of react. And so I just think they're everything. Uh, when it comes to feelings and emotions, I put a lot of weight in that category. I do mm-hmm. think you can you can overplay it. And sometimes I'm careful with it because you get to talking too much about it and people tune you out. But I do think it's part of our natural biology that we run from and we ignore and we condition out of ourselves that when we come back to it, pay attention to it, identify it, communicate it, feel free to, to own and understand it. Uh, it can change our lives in every way possible. And that's a big part of what we do uh, with OnSite is help teach people the value of understanding your emotions and utilizing them for favor instead of running from them as a deficit. So if everybody's still with us after my long explanation on emotions, you can tell them I'm passionate about this stuff.
0: love how much of a storyteller Miles is and the gift that he has for connecting us all back to the truths that we all have in common as humans. Our desires to be seen, heard, and valued. I'm so excited that we get to leave you with this practical tool that has become foundational in my everyday life as a means to stay connected to myself and to position me in a place to connect better with those around me. You can do this exercise almost anywhere and it doesn't take very long. Join us in walking through an emotional body scan.
1: So if, if you're with us, if you could kind of just, if you're sitting or if you're standing, if you kind of just put your feet on the ground, either's fine, sitting or standing. And I would just invite you to just for a moment, if you can close your eyes, and if you're comfortable doing that, go for it. If you're driving down the interstate, obviously you might keep one of them open um, <laughs> or both. And I'd, I'd like to, uh, for, for a moment, I'm going to give you about five seconds here just to tune the world out and take a big deep breath in and then out. And I'd like you to just identify an emotion, ideally a primary emotion. Like, what am I feeling right now? What emotion comes up first that I can identify that I'm feeling right now? And once you can identify that, and if you're struggling to identify it, that's totally okay. Then I would invite you to, you can open your eyes now. It's fine to do that. I would I would invite you to uh, rank that emotion between 1 and 10 in terms of how significant or big it might be feeling in your body at the moment. So 1 would be not very big. 10 would be I'm, I'm really feeling it. And then the last part, so three-step process, is very simple. Identify and clarify the emotion. Uh, how big is it between one and ten? And the last part is where is that emotion sitting in your body? So I'll give you an example. I'm feeling gratitude. It's at a about a seven. And I feel it in my shoulders and in my chest. And I actually had it – I was feeling like – warm all the way up my neck when I was thinking about reflecting about that story from yesterday, but then it carried over into me identifying what I'm feeling right now at the moment. And that's really it. That's the emotional body scan. And so it's just stop for a minute. And I'll do this before I do a talk. If it's something I'm nervous about, which nerves are have become so important to me, I really value them now. I used to think that was a bad thing or I was scared of them as a speaker. And, but I really learned to partner with them and enjoy them. But I need to check in on them before I do something so that they don't run the show. I can't mm. tell you the number of talks I've done publicly where they ran the show. You know what it looks like when they run the show? It looks like my dictation speaks up. My voice changes. I'm talking to you as a subject matter expert, and I want you to know how smart I am. And I'm completely disconnected from the rest of my body. You might relate mm. to that, like if you're in a yeah, nervous conversation. You
2: relate to that. Uh, totally.
1: But that body scan can, no matter the scenario, can bring us back into our body. Because we've we not judged it. If let's say your your uh, emotion was sadness or it was anger, one of them that get a bad rap. You've identified it. You've you know you put you've clarified how big it is, and then you've actually clarified where it is in your body. That alone, that practice alone, is proven to lower your ambient stress. And mm-hmm. don't you, the goal may be for you that oh shoot I got to figure out how to get it from if it's a sadness I got to get it from an eight to a one or an eight to two. It's not the goal. You don't have to change it at all. All you gotta do is just clarify it. And clarifying it alone has a better chance of it moving one way or the other in support of you. Because for some of you, if you have blocked out the bad emotions for a long time, that's what I should have said, Lindsay, in the very beginning when you asked that great question about what do you see? Mostly I see people with blocked or compound emotions mm. that they've never had a natural outlet to be able to offload them. Because if they did, they might not even need to call me. You know, they that's where the work starts. Yeah. Um, but if I don't I, some for some of you, if you're trying to get rid of a difficult emotion, a body scan can invite you into the idea that you might need it to be at an eight. You might even need to engage with it at a 10 because you might not have given it permission to come out in a really long time. Or you might be around other people, partners, families that have discouraged it. But it's yours. You own it. You get to identify it, clarify it, sit with it, and it is all okay. Okay. Mm.
0: That's so good. I think even when you were saying, like, partner with your anxiety, like it's telling you that something matters. Like it's telling you, you know, alerting you to that. And I think that's something that I've learned from working at at Onsite is just you talked earlier about the shadow side of something that that every emotion it's not positive or negative; it's just neutral, Um, and and it offers us something. Sadness we don't want it to go from an eight to a one. Maybe it's awakening us to something that matters. Like it's it's sad and it's grief and it's allowing you to to hold that. So. Miles, this has been such a good conversation and so grounding, and I'm just really grateful uh, for you showing up and and helping us round out this series. I think it's so important. Is there anything um, that you'd want to kind of leave us with as we round out this conversation?
1: Oh, it's been it's been wonderful. I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a bright spot in the middle of the day to get to just connect and have a real conversation. I'm so glad we we did it, and I'm glad y'all invited me back into it. I'm really proud of what y'all do with this. Uh, just trying to really share our story and. Mm -hmm. And I know I've been a part of it at times too, but y'all really get the credit. You've taken the charge and just pushed right through and continued offering valuable information to people with all the people we get to do life and and leadership with. So I'm really, really proud of it and appreciate you both.
0: Thanks for listening to The Living Center Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love for you to consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen. It only takes a few seconds to navigate to the show in your app and select the stars to begin your rating. It helps more people find the show, and we really appreciate it. Thanks so much.